Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, September the 13th, 2017. Virginia is now 1-1 one one on the season after going down 34-17 to Indiana on Saturday, a game that, as I wrote on Monday, Many people, myself included, expect the Cav- expected the Cavaliers to make a statement. It just wasn't necessarily a statement uh, folks would have wanted. So we'll get into not just uh, recapping that game, but also sort of look forward, not just in terms of the, the next opponent, which we will obviously talk about and, and, and preview a little bit before we give our picks, but we'll also sort of talk about the, kind of the big picture um, you know, around this team and, and where things are, at least as of now, uh, going forward the season. But let's go around and introduce everybody before we get started out in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How you doing, buddy? Fine, Brad. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Who days on the board at Who days on Twitter? Fine. That's <laughs> never a good word. Especially, uh, it's just not good. Uh, staff writer Justin Ferber up in Arlington is also back on the show. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing okay. Just okay? Not yeah, fine? Better, better than fine. Better than fine? <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. I, I want to start kind of at the end um, today, or tonight, whatever, this morning as you listen to this, whatever. Um, so as I, as I was leaving Scott Stadium Saturday night, and listen, I think a lot of what we're going to talk about in this podcast is in this episode is going to be about what happened and why it happened and fun stuff. But I kind of want to address sort of the psyche of of the Virginia football fan right now, and I and I and I want to start here because I think it's important to frame the the discussion we're going to have. Is that if you notice that for however long this podcast goes tonight, we're we're going to be talking about the X's and O's and the in the team. But I'm always struck by like how like instantly when there's any sort of like non success. Virginia fans immediately get like philosophical and big picture, and and I and I like I think I even texted these guys like it feels to me as a LeBron fan like how everybody like LeBron will miss a shot in the third quarter and everybody like well he's clearly not the greatest of all time, right? It's like this really weird like the way people dial into like everything about that and this feels like that for a lot of Virginia fans like all like if you paid attention to social media on on Saturday night it was just full of Virginia fans lamenting like where things are and it's all and I finally was like all right and I like I don't I don't jump on the soapbox much um I I don't think that's really helpful especially in a situation where like people just kind of want to vent but I kind of like hey I got an idea how about every game's not a referendum on everything and yeah, maybe they, they you know they don't play well one game, but can you can you wait for a while and just cheer for the team? Like I'm not saying you can't be, you can't hold people accountable. And for anybody who's going to listen to this podcast, I'm I'm going to go ahead and warn you, Dave and Firm are going to hold some people accountable here in a few. But like I just I just hope that like we can talk about what's going on on the field without it being some like overarching the university's not doing something right thing. And the reason I wanted to sort of start that discussion there tonight is because I think it's important to, to sort of approach where they are and where they could go. Like, this season could go bad. Like, it could go real bad. Like, they go out Saturday and lose this game, go out to Boise and get smacked. Now they're 1-3, and three, um, you know, with maybe one other game on the schedule left that they might be favored in. Um, it could go real bad. Um, it could be tough. And so, like, I, I don't – I'm not saying don't be negative. I'm not saying don't have opinions about the school. I'm just saying, that, like, maybe – Maybe that's just not the right time for it. You know what I mean? Like, you want to talk about how uh, you don't understand the, this play call on third and six? Hey, 
I think that's all fair game. But like in in season, that should be where it is. And I and I really hope that for a lot of fans, they can sort of you know divorce themselves of this idea that like everything has to be this overarching you know big picture um, thing where it's like in the middle of in the middle of the third quarter, if Virginia doesn't do something right, like up oh, yep, kind of clean house. Like what? Like can you wait? You know, like can we can you get some data first? You know, like cheer for the team, support them until that that point when you know that it's time to do something different. But I just feel like for a lot of fans, if you are carrying this much stress right now, it is going to be an exhausting, exhausting experience to be a fan this season. Um, don't do yourself a favor, lay that down, man. Like don't don't carry that around, and certainly, um, you know, do your best to you know just try to you know support the team best you can. Um, with all that said, um, my little three minute rant and change, um, I'm curious as you guys have, I, I, having been a part of our, our group thread today, I know that, that you guys have, have, have been digging into the, to this loss. What stands out to you the most? Let's start there, Dave. What, what, what stands out the most about this loss to you? Well, I mean, you're right Virginia fans are reactionary, but I don't think that's an exclusive to Virginia. College football just kind of is set up to be a reactionary sport, um, whatever level you're at. You know, if you're Alabama or Florida State or Clemson, you know, a loss could mean the end of your title hopes. Um, so, and then you have a week to kind of stew in whatever happened. So it, it is a it is a sport set up to be reactionary. Um, but I think you know the thing that stood out to me was you know, it was Indiana. We've talked about it ad nauseum from the second the schedule came out. Like it was the game Virginia had to win if this team was going to be good enough to go bowling. You know, I think even the optimist said there was no route that didn't include beating Indiana. So fans knew that. Fans I talked to when we tailgate knew that. I mean, um, so we also knew Indiana wasn't a pushover. It was going to be a competitive game. And I think for me, what stuck out is another chance for Virginia. And this, look, it's not just under the staff. Like the fans that are on the message boards are the ones that have been here for Grow and London and Welsh and even back further for a lot of those guys. Um, for them, the wounds are deep. It's not, you know, we've had success and now we're, we're you know, we're okay because Broncos building something new. Um, the wounds are deep when you're walking back from a game where you felt Virginia just kind of laid an egg, you know, offensively. Um, yeah, that's kind of what stood out to me. A game where Virginia, you would hope the staff would see the same thing a fan sees. Like, okay, the staff wasn't talking up bowls, but they have to understand there's only there's some games on the schedule that's going to be a lot easier to win than others, and some they should be competitive. Indiana's one they should have been competitive. Um, and for the most part, they were, but they lost, you know, lost by 17 points. It, it It's a game where you feel like the staff should have been more there. And in some ways, the the play calling and the execution and the energy out there didn't match what the fans were bringing to the game. The ones who did manage to show up. Do you think uh, I, the thing I keep sort of um, tripping on as we, as we sort of think about this is you, you, we, there seems to be a, this, this idea both among fans as well as folks who, who cover, observe, whatever, that, that this needed to be a big deal. And I don't want to say. I mean, like, I think Bronco and, and the and the kids talked about it as if it was a nice test and stuff. But like, I never got the sense of urgency from them that I got from people on the outside. And I wonder 
if maybe that's part of the disconnect here, because a lot of people went into thinking that this game was like a big deal, but but it almost seems like it was just a, a it was a, another game. Now maybe that's problematic. Um, I, I don't know how it changes their preparation. Clearly, early on, I mean, like Richard Legault had no like no chance. Like there was nothing cooking. Um, I still don't know. Uh, maybe you guys do. Did he leave the game because he was hurt, or did he leave the game because they just pulled him? Um, pulled him. Yeah. So like, and even then, I think Virginia did a good job of sort of adjusting. Maybe it didn't happen immediately, but I thought they did a good job, you know, sort of adjusting. But overall, it just it doesn't seem like the the sense of urgency about this specific game. And I wonder if that's just not who who these people are. You know, like they're just not they're they're too businesslike in that respect. I mean, and I know some people will point to that and say, well, you can't be like that in college sports. I'm like, that's exactly what Tony Bennett is. Like, he's the don't let the highs get too high or the lows get too lows guy. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier to say that stuff when you're winning, though. And I think I read a lot of threads on the board this week about, or a lot of posts in different threads about, you know, people, you know, like like Dave was saying, venting some anger. Um, and I wonder if that's part of it. Um, Ferber, what about you, man? What, what, what stood out to you most um, about this loss? Um, for the Cavaliers. Yeah, I mean, my big picture takeaways might be a little bit different than uh, my takeaways for this loss specifically, but for this specific game, I was, I mean, especially on the rewatch, um, the special teams, that was a huge factor in this game. Um, I mean, even more so than maybe I realized when it was happening. Uh, You know, while I was watching it, I was thinking that Indiana was just executing at a really high level in special teams. And I think to a degree they were. Um, and overall, especially on the rewatch, I think Indiana's. I, I you know I predicted Indiana to win the game in the preseason, um, but I thought that they would just do that because they were a little bit better than a UVA team with a lot of question marks. They actually might be pretty good um, from what I saw. They can. I mean, they have a lot of weapons all over the field, and they have a good defense. Um, but the special teams that was just. Everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. Um, there were two huge missed tackles um, by Jermaine Crowell, and I don't want to call out you know a, a player like that, but you know it's a, if you watch the game, you saw him. Um, you know the the first one was on a punt return, and it cost UVA like sixty yards, and it set uh, Indiana up with the ball on like the twenty seven yard line or something, and they they scored a couple plays later. Um, another one was on a kick return right after the touchdown, and that one. Um, you know, that kick got returned pretty far after a missed tackle. So that kind of stuff, I mean, when you have a team with a small margin for error already, that kind of stuff just exacerbates the problem. And I think people get burned out on hearing that, it, you know, you have to win in all three phases and it's offense, defense, and special teams, and you have to have your starters play special teams because that's important. But it really is important. I mean, if you go back and watch that game, if the special teams was neutral – instead of just so lopsided in Indiana's favor, it could it could have been a toss-up game. As bad as UVA played on offense, the special teams did them in, really. Um, the defense played good enough to win. But, this, I mean, they had a few – Indiana had a few punts that, you know, went over people's heads and were down on the one, and some of that's luck, some of that's skill. Um, Joe Reed catches a kickoff going out of bounds and runs out of bounds at, like, the 15-yard line. Um, when they could have gotten the ball at the 35 or 40. I forget where they put it in college if it goes out of bounds. Um, Indiana makes two 50-plus yard field goals, and UVA doesn't have enough confidence in their kicker to kick one from, I think it was 38 yards out. 
Um, and then they didn't execute on a fake field goal, which if you go back and watch it, it might have worked. Um, but, I mean, you're kind of putting a, a punter who's never played in a situation to fail, I think, in that situation. If you really don't have that kind of confidence in your kicker, just go for it. Um, I know that after the game, Broncos said it was a look that they saw, but they hadn't lined up for any field goals yet, so I don't really understand how that works. But um, the, the special teams just killed them. Long returns, um, you know, in their own kickoff return game, they're not, they weren't getting enough yards. Um, the The punting started off really well and just tapered off throughout the game, and then they gave up a ridiculously terrible punt return for touchdown that was so poorly schemed up i'm not saying it's the coach's fault but the players were just not in they weren't competing i mean they just they were basically like here's a short punt so it's a bad punt to start no hang time and then everybody's all over the place on their pursuit and you know on the backside, indiana basically jogged it in for a 40-yard touchdown so i mean that kind of that put the nail in the coffin and the game was probably already over at that point but you just can't have that kind of stuff with this kind of team yeah, I can see that, and and the I think I think it was like fifty three or some odd seconds of game time, and I think there were six, if I if I remember the number correctly, um, defensive starters that were in on that play. Um, so I think that you can expect to see, as Bronco has said a couple times this week and made very clear today on the uh, uh, ACC teleconference, be a lot of special teams changes, a lot of personnel swaps and 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 shifts, and they're definitely gonna lighten the load of some guys. Um, put more on the plate of other guys. Um, but I think one of the things that's, that's interesting is like um, this, this idea of, of, of um, the sense of urgency thing, you know, like, um, you know, Ferber's talking about like, you know, mistakes here and there. And like, you think about when you have a team that makes not just like a big mistake, but a series of smaller um, to medium sized mistakes to sort of add up into a loss that's the kind of thing that you kind of hope that, that you, you didn't have to worry about um, at this point. I feel like early in the season, you're going to have some some growing pains. You're going to have, you know, you have young kids like like G. Crowell, who is, you know, like Bronco said Monday, like they got a lot of belief in the kid. They think he's really talented. But but at the same time, they're not going to give up on him. You know, like, he, you know, there were definitely some mistakes. And those are glaring mistakes. There's no way you could miss them. And I think, you know, we're not – you know, you're not being unfair to, to call them out uh, or to mention them like, hey, these are these are plays that were very detrimental to UVA's chances. Um, but I do wonder if some of these some of these mistakes make their make that lack of sense of urgency, make that seem, um, you, you know, um, sort of um, make it seem worse. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like it just makes it yeah. seem makes it seem like um, makes it seem like that that thing is exempl- is kind of magnified. You feel where I'm coming from? Yeah, I mean, if you watch this team play now, we're, we've got 14 games of data essentially on on the new staff. Now, granted, the players have changed some in the last couple, you know, this year versus last year, but um, a lot of what you see on the field is driven by, you know, it's driven by the coaching staff. That's what they're paid millions of dollars to do. Um, me as you know, as a casual fan, and then when I get into my rabid fan mode during the game, and then you know, analytical fan when I get home trying to process a loss, it's, it's so clear to me and it's even more pronounced this year than last year. There is such a difference in the intensity between the defense and the offense. Like, I mean, I feel like you need to have an asterisk when you're talking about the performance of the team Saturday, like the defense played, played great. They played well enough to win that game. 
<clears throat> in many ways, they they perform better out of the out of the gate than Ohio State did against the very same team. Um, and given the number of young players playing new positions in what is a very complicated defense, uh, the 3-4, something that even Grow with his NFL pedigree had, it took him time to coach the guys up to play that defense. Like, the defense is playing well. They're doing, they're doing enough to win. You've got young players changing positions. Jordan Mack is having, you know, a heck of a game at a middle linebacker. You know, 14 months ago he was a safety. There's so much good going on with the defense and then you contrast that with the offense that seems to be like stuck in this perpetual circle of not understanding the talent of the players on the roster. Um, play calls that don't add up. Like when you when you're sitting in the stands, like and could say you can guess the play. I mean, I felt like Tony Romo calling that game yesterday. I mean, you can call what's coming just by the personnel switches. Um, and even if they try to trick them and run, you know, run a pass with the big wide receiver personnel, well, what's it going to get you? Three or four yards because those guys don't have the speed to break it deep. Um, so it kind of got me thinking. And so yeah, I went back and looked. Fourteen games of data. Um, I think it was Daniel Ham talking to um, Jay James post game, who said he felt like the they felt like the offense didn't come out with a sense of urgency. Like that's a big game. Like you should you should come out with a sense of urgency. So I went back and looked. 14 games, um, the first drive of the game for Virginia, whether it's the kickoff, receiving the kickoff or after the opponent has the ball. Through 14 games under the staff, we have see 14, 14 chances in the first half, our first possession. We have punted the ball 10 times, with five of those being three and outs. Um, I mean, historically, that should be one of your more successful drives. You've had all week to game plan. You come out, you surprise them, boom. Um, so 10 punts, one fumble, one turnover and downs and two touchdowns, one against Pitt and one against Wake Forest. So we're averaging one point per opening drive. Um, I got to tell you, that's not good on the national average. Um, so the offense is coming out flat and that puts you in a hole. So I went back and looked at the defense. So with 14 games, the defense has only given up three points on the first drive. So clearly the defense is doing a better job of scouting the offense, um, scouting than the offense and, and putting it into play. So for me, it like I'm okay with the defense. Right now my focus, my anger is, is toward the offense. Um, I, I don't know what we're doing there. I know Justin did a more thorough rewatch today and I got a chance to what to do. But it just – like something's got to change on that side of the ball or you're going to have what happened, you know. You're right. Like I, I felt like Saturday was the first time the special teams had kind of been terrible since the first couple games of last year. Like I thought they did a really good job of solidifying the return games last year, return defense, and the only glaring weakness was field goal kicking. Well, here we are two games in. I feel like field goal kicking is still where we were last year, which blows my mind. Um, you know, it's one thing not to be able to find a all you know all world quarterback in in a t- two years, but I mean, UVA in its history has never had so much trouble finding kickers as we had in the past two years. Um, but, yeah, I, I will say I, I do think that that punt return for touchdown, now the ones earlier in the game were just bad execution. You could almost sense that was going to happen on that last one. I mean, the, the defense had just made a, a great stop to keep the team in the game, the offense in the game again. They come out and run that horrible three and out of trying to do what I don't know from, from almost their end zone. Like I was not surprised that one was house, but 
it's that disconnect. Like I feel like at some point there's going to be like this internal team strife between the offense and the defense. One thing too that that as I'm I'm kind of struck by is I I know that there are varying degrees of of um, differences of opinion on this, but I, I just feel like Virginia's offense has more than what they're showing, and I feel like that yeah they don't like Ferber and I sit in the press box and we just marvel at the fact that like Lamade Zacchaeus will be like on the field and then he won't be out there for two plays like it'll be a third down and four and he's not on the field. And you're thinking, like, what What would you want to do on third down that you might not want to have your best player on the field for? And the more I've thought about it, I was like, you know what? It kind of goes back to this idea of the sense urgency thing. I just feel like sometimes there are, there are ways that we see things, and they are just drastically different than the way that the staff sees it or the way they're game planning for it. Um, you know, people keep asking me, and I got to ask about this on, on radio again today, like, what what do you feel like they can do to, to jumpstart the running game? And I'm like, well, you could, you could start by – you know, not handing the ball off in a shotgun formation to a dude standing next to you. Um, but then it's um, it's it's one of those things where, like, they also could, you know, change up some of the rotations of wide receivers so that you're not tipping your plays and you could, you know, make some, maybe you make some changes on the offensive line. I just feel like the, it's it's not just like, oh, you do this and it fixes it. And 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 Ferber, I mean, I know you you and I have have lamented this this lack of of using Zacchaeus. But what what do you feel like? What do you feel like is wrong with the offense, and what do you feel like they need to do to fix it? Yeah, so I mean, this week I kind of went back, and and I and to be quite honest with you, depending on how the game goes, I don't always rewatch in entirety. Um, but this this game, I really wanted to look, uh, take a closer look at the offense, and try to figure out what's going on. Um, see if I could pick up on any trends. Uh, Dave, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I, I mean, and, and a lot of teams do this. Even NFL teams do this sometimes. Um, they they have like big receivers and pass catching receivers, right? So when Hasis Dubois is in the game, ninety percent of the time is going to be a run. And if I know that, then the other team's coaches probably know that. If Tanner Cowley's in the game, there's probably an eighty to ninety percent chance that it's a run. Um, and if he is in the game and it's a pass, he's not going to be the target. So. I mean, and and then that guy is in there, and and I'm not, you know, I'm sure he works hard in practice and all that stuff, but he's in there at the expense of Joe Reed or Zacchaeus or Dowling sometimes or Dubois, who I think has potential. I was just looking at it while you were talking, and in the game Saturday, I might have missed one third down, but I only see two third downs that they converted that were like third and four or longer. Uh, the one was the slant across the middle to Zacchaeus that he took down to like the three or four yard line um, before they eventually had to settle for a field goal. And the other one was on that first drive of the second half that they eventually scored the touchdown on. And what kind of play was that? It was a slant to Cease Dubois and he barely got over or an in. I don't know if he was it was a slant or an in, but it was in the middle of the field um, to Zacchaeus or um, sorry to Dubois and he barely got over the sticks. Um so here's kind of what I'm seeing. We talk about this a lot in the press box, Brad, but a lot of the routes are outside the hashes. It's just like everything is outside the hashes. There's nothing across the middle of the field. The only t- stuff you see inside the hashes are these option routes where it's like two guys on one side of the field and one guy kind of runs an inward dig and just sits there at the sticks usually. And a lot of times it'll be Donnie Dowling. And then the other guy will run an out or an up. Um, what you don't see ever is like a deep post 
What you also don't see a lot of are slants or quick hitters across the middle, drag routes, uh, stuff with the tight end. Um, sometimes the tight end, especially Evan Butts, will be used in the same way that I just described Dowling being used, where he'll just sit kind of in the zone. Um, and Bankert actually is successful at completing those passes. Some of his best passes in the game against Indiana were those quick little, the guy just runs a hook in the middle of the zone and sits there. Um, that's an easy play to run against zone. It's almost impossible to stop um, uh, if you run his zone consistently enough. So what I noticed a lot from Indiana's defense was that they're sitting up for the run. I mean, what I said after the game is spot on. They're not stretching the field. They're, nobody is afraid of their deep passing game. There's a few reasons for that. One of the reasons is they don't run any, there are no diversity, there's no diversity of routes on a, on a, on a deep route. Think about the game against Indiana. The deep plays, they were all down the sideline, one-on-one. There was no, there was no double move, there was no post, there's no like out and up from somebody in the slot. It's all just straight line down the field. And every single time, the guy was covered pretty well, and they, or they had help, and on a lot of those throws... Bankard just wasn't accurate enough to put it in a place to hit him. Or, you know, they recovered well. Um, they weren't successful in any of those throws. He didn't have a pass over 20 yards in the game, and I believe that was Zacchaeus on a screen. Um, you know, they run a lot of these screens and quick little hitters out to the outside, but the blocking isn't there. Either there's three defenders and two receivers, so there's not enough guys to block, or the receivers aren't getting the blocks. So you're bringing in receivers to block, like they're the blocking receivers, and they're not getting the blocks down. So my thinking is, why don't you just leave the passing receivers in and try to just get them out of the area? Their most successful offensive play, and I know I'm rambling, but their most successful offensive play on Saturday was a play where Zacchaeus went in motion from left to right, and there were two receivers on the right side. It was third and six or something, and or third and five. And both receivers, I believe it was Dowling and Ben Hogg or, or somebody, and they just ran into the middle of the field, dra- dragging the defenders into the middle of the field, and then they flipped it out to Zacchaeus. Indiana didn't read it properly, and they left him there. No, like the linebacker or whoever was supposed to go with him didn't go with him, and he picked up like 20 yards because there was nobody there because the receivers had moved to the inside of the field, leaving space. The plays with Zacchaeus and Reed, they're they're basically screen passes with blockers. Like you're not, there's no plays with space. It's nothing about getting guys running with the football. It's all about set. It's long form setting things up, and it's all about getting the ball out quick. And I'll wrap this up, but a couple other things. They're not asking Kurt Banker to do very much. His passes, and I think that's because they don't trust the offensive line, but from what I've seen, even on third and longs, they're doing a pretty good job of pass pro. He's not really under a lot of pressure. He had a few balls against Indiana where he got him out really quickly, but he didn't need to because there was no pressure. That throw to Warren Kraft in the end zone, yeah, Warren Kraft might have been able to catch it, but he could have also put it on the numbers because there was no pressure whatsoever and Kraft was wide open with no safety back there to pick the ball off. Um, all he had to do was go over the linebacker's head and put it on him. He didn't do that. Um, like I said before, the deep ball connections aren't there. So now you have all these safeties and linebackers crowding the line of scrimmage and they're not giving these guys anywhere to go. So even when they do catch the ball on these quick little three-yard routes, they're not getting anywhere because they're just getting tackled and the defense is okay with giving them that. Another thing is the linebackers are cheating up so much on the run and in the flats that because there's nothing over the top, 
that everything that is thrown complete around the line of scrimmage, you just have no room to go anywhere. So they're blowing up blocks. That's why you're seeing all these passes to Ham, which, you know, on paper they look like they would work because you have the blocking set up, but guys aren't holding their blocks because these defenders are crashing to the outside of the field and just leaving the middle of the field open because UVA doesn't run any routes there. Right. Right. And then, too, like, as I'm looking at the drive chart, okay, from Saturday, Virginia's first drive, three and out. Second drive, three and out. Third drive, an eight-play drive, goes 33 yards, three minutes, 33 seconds, ends in a punt. Uh, Next drive is the 10-play, 45-yard drive that ends when they turn it over on downs because they go for a a fake field goal and it doesn't work. Um, Then Virginia gets an interception and goes three and out. Uh, Indiana punts. Virginia gets a field goal on a seven-play, 20-yard drive, um, but then Indiana answers with a touchdown. There are still one, two, three, four, five more three and outs. If I'm if if I'm looking at the numbers right, that's a lot. Of, <laughs> that's a lot of not production, you know. And I mean, I, I I've said this a couple times this week. You, you think the defense played well, but they gave up 34 points, and they're like, no, 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 that's not on the defense, man. Like that defense, I think was really strong, and it's gonna have to be. You know, it's gonna have to be the thing that keeps him in games this year. That that just that, you know certified that right now. Like that's just you know that's certified. Like that's just what it's gonna be, right? Um, defense is gonna keep him in games. Offense is gonna have to play well enough. You know, I'm not saying that you know um, that the that there's like some weird like um, you know uh, that the the defense ha- it's like a two to one ratio, right? Where you're like for every two good defensive stands, you need some kind of offensive production. I'm not trying to say it's that microscopic, but I just expect that like the offense has to carry the water every now and then they can't put them out there as much as they were out there the other day. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just a sort of long and short of it. Uh, let's, since we've, we've talked for about a half an hour now, let's, let's switch over to UConn. This is a, I said on radio, this is a must win. I don't see any other way to, to sort of describe it. And, and I don't know who in the, you know, who in the staff would say this or that, um, in terms of uh, urgency or big game or whatever, but this is a must-win to me. Um, just one because you know Virginia's you know getting ready to go on the road um, for for a while, right? I mean they're gonna uh, they're they're gonna be gone next Friday night when they go to uh, Boise State, who maybe is not very good or maybe not quite as good as we thought. Sorry, they do come back for Duke um, on October the seventh, but Virginia's gonna have their their bye week on the 29th. Um, oh, excuse me, the 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 30th. Um, so they get Duke at home, and then they're then they're they're kind of bouncing back and forth. I am uh, I am of the opinion that Virginia should win this game and win this game handily. My problem is is that I just don't know if I believe in them yet. Um, where are you guys at right now, Dave? Where 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 do you where are you on this thing? This is the, probably the most confusing game we've had <laughs> in in a long time. Um. I mean, when you, you know, Vegas is rarely wrong. At ten and a half. I mean, it, it's hard. Yeah, I won't say impossible, but very rarely does a home team with a ten and a half point, as a ten and a half point favorite, lose a game. Um, like, I just feel like <laughs> I don't. Maybe I missed something. Did, did Connecticut lose half its roster last year? Um, Am I missing something in the way Virginia plays? I don't. Well, know. I don't think Connecticut really had much on the roster last year. They like, had enough to beat us. That's, well, that's they had that. What's that? <laughs> Ferber knows. What's that kid's name? Ferber. Um, God, what's that kid's name that they graduated? You mentioned him in the five to watch wide receiver. Yeah, who was his Noel name? Noel Thomas Jr. Okay, 
Wow, you remembered he was a junior. Okay, so, but I mean, like, if you go through it and see, like, redshirt sophomore tackle, uh, senior guard, redshirt junior center, redshirt freshman guard, redshirt senior tackle, senior tight end, senior running back, junior wide receiver, redshirt freshman wide receiver, junior wide receiver, redshirt senior quarterback. So at least offensively they have some experience, but, like, I mean, there aren't a whole lot of playmakers up there, and Brian Brian Sheriff wasn't even the quarterback to start the season. You know what I mean? Like they were yeah. going to go with the Pendle kid until he, you know, Atlanta, to, got him, <laughs> got him <laughs> down twenty to seven at the half to Holy Cross. Defensively, retro senior, retro senior, senior, senior. So they're 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 defensive line all seniors, linebackers, uh, two retro juniors, two two seniors. Uh, defensive backs have experience at for for summers as well as Anthony Watkins, and then they got a retro freshman, retro sophomore. And uh, a redshirt senior to, to close out their uh, three three five stack, um, but it's not so much that they don't that they don't have experience. It's just like they just don't have dudes that really stand out. Summers is really good. The defensive tackle is pretty good. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of sheriffs. To be quite honest, um, the Mayala kid at wide receiver is not bad. Um, maybe the Newsom kid at running back's not not bad. But I mean, they got a couple or senior. You know, they got a couple ors on the on the depth chart. So. I think also too we're being impacted here by the fact that they've only played one game. Um, if they had played against USF, I don't know if I if I would know, but so much more. But I feel like I would know a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying um, you know I'm not saying that I would you know be a wealth of information on them. But I, I just I don't know, man. I just feel like if this is the same team, put it to you like this: Is Virginia better this year than they were last year? Yes. Is UConn TBD? That means Virginia should win the game, right? Like. I'm not. It's it, it's it's not going to be that easy, you know. But if you want to get down to brass tacks, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, my fear for this game is I fear like the feel like the coaching staff is going to say, you know, this is a game we should win if we're safe with the ball and play our defense. Um, which, as we know, puts you in a situation where if you have a turnover or two, you're you're not pressing it, um, you can lose. So, I feel like personally. You know, you've got a team going switching from conventional defense to a three-three-five. You're at home. You know, if you don't have Zacchaeus, you know, drinking water, you know, two of the three downs. You know, you've got some weapons to to expose. I'd like to see Virginia kind of open the offense up this week, but I don't think we're going to see it. Um, I think it's a game Virginia should win, but I just don't understand. <laughs> like, I am already pessimistic about what I'm going to see from the offense. And it's making me hard to get excited and confident that this is a game we should win handily. Like, there's no way I'd put money on Virginia covering the spread. Let's put it that way. Right. I kind of feel like it's one of those deals where if um, it's one of those games where Virginia should handle should handle business, but it's going to be a lot tighter than it should be, and that's just that's just the, sort of the the Virginiaification of it. <laughs> um, it just seems like to me that Virginia has better talent and should win the game, so therefore it will be tight. Um, I like Virginia's. Um, I, I, I like I like Virginia's defense in this in this game because I don't think that they have a lot of contrast between their quarterbacks um, that would give Virginia problems. But also too, I like some of the physical matchups as well. Uh, I do I do wonder right. I mean uh, Vill- uh, Villanova. Wow, because Villanova's uh, former defensive was their defensive coordinator is now the defensive coordinator at UConn. And that's why I have him on mind. 
Red Ashley, who was the offensive coordinator at, at Auburn, is now the offensive coordinator at UConn. So there's a lot of similarities between what you're going to see from UConn now versus what maybe you saw of Auburn in the past. Um, spoiler alert: they don't have Auburn talent. Um, so you're you're not you know it's not some not an offense that should strike fear in your heart at this point. Um, but some of the concepts will be the same. Um, six foot wide receiver, five eleven wide receiver, six foot two wide receiver. Um, I like Virginia's length at, at at cornerback against that, and I'm curious if since since UConn is not very very long at that position, um, except for maybe uh, this Aaron McLean kid who's six five. Um, since they're not very long, will UVA want to use Thornhill again at cornerback, or will they want him back at safety um, to sort of maybe play the run a little better? Um, I think that one is will be an interesting sort of wrinkle to watch, but certainly one we'll figure out pretty quick. I just, I don't know, man. I just, I just kind of keep going back and forth on this. Um, this idea of who has better talent usually, um, who, whoever has better talent usually wins. And it's one of those deals where I feel like Virginia has better talent, so they should win. Uh, let's get to our, um, our, uh, predictions. Uh, in the preseason, Ferber, you had, um, let's see, you had, uh, Virginia win in this game 24 to 16. Um, would you like to change that? Would you like to stick with that? How are you feeling about uh, about Saturday's chances? That actually feels pretty good. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I nailed it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of hard. I said this on, on Saturday, but it's like UVA's should win this game. I'd be surprised if they didn't. But the way if their offense plays the way it did against Indiana, it's going to be close by nature because you know they're not going to be able to run away from them unless the defense has five pick sixes or something. Um, I think UVA is the better talent, like you said. It's at home. Not really sure how much that matters. Um, but they're just UConn's just bad. I mean, they're just worse. Um, a lot of people just assume UVA has as much talent as Indiana because they're Indiana, and they're wrong. Indiana has more talent or more talent in a position to be successful than UVA does. UConn doesn't. UConn is a step above Wayman Mary, but that's it. Um, if they come in and win, that's a horrible, terrible sign. Unless something crazy, catastrophic happens, um, UVA's offense just has to be better. Like they just have to be. There are ways to get better. Um, they have to be able to stretch the field and and keep the defense honest. And if they need to get Kurt outside the pocket because they don't trust the pass protection, then just do it and find ways to get Zacchaeus and read the ball that aren't so inorganic and. You know, maybe that maybe that balance will open things up in the running game because part of the reason it's not working is, you know, the guys at the offensive linemen are blocking their guys, and the guys at the second level are the ones making the tackle because they're all so close to the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I mean, overall, I think this is a game that UVA has to win. I think they will win. Um, I can't pick them to lose, but man, if they lose, that would be bad. Can you you can sense the frustration in first voice? He definitely sounds like somebody who rewatched that game today. It's just I, um, I mean like right. it's one thing to not win, right? And right, you know it's yeah. like you're at the stadium and you wonder why people don't go to games. It's like one thing to not win, but it's another thing to be boring or just frustrating. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that that when you if before the season, what did I say? Like it's not so much about the wins and losses; it's about the direction, right? As they go forward, and this is the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, in the preseason, I had it 27, 23 UVA. I'm, I'm going to stick with, excuse me, 23, 13. Sorry. I can't read my own writing. 
Um, 23-13, I think that's fairly strong. I mean, that 10 points is about where the spread is. I still have a problem thinking that Virginia could cover it, but I do think that this defense could score a touchdown, and if that happens, um, I feel like it takes a lot of pressure off the offense. So I'm going to stick with the 23-13 uh, picking UVA to win. Dave, you are last of the three of us at least. 24-14 was your preseason score in favor of your Wahoos. How do you feel now um, that you're closer to it? I'll go 24-17. I'll change it up a little bit. I think Virginia wins. Um, but, God, I mean, not to keep harping on this, like, offensive substitution craziness. Um, we were talking about it post-game. I, I should have brought it up earlier. But, like, can you imagine playing Virginia Tech and Cam Phillips being on, on the sideline for two plays out of three on every set of downs? Like, right. <laughs> um, like, I mean, thank you. I mean, you're basically making the defense better. So I hoped, I hope to see Zacchaeus on the field more. Look, if you want to, if you want to run the ball and sub, you, you don't need to sub three wide receivers. Bring one guy in. You know, maybe not run Zacchaeus and Dowling. Maybe bring Zacchaeus and and Dubois. You, you know, keep one of those guys on the field for goodness sakes. Um, Plus, they don't have anything you know, to do with the run blocking because they don't run anything really off tackle. So it's not like they're they're blocking no, guys in the slot. All the tackles in the run game are in the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you do want to establish a run, you know what? If you're going to play your tight ends as much as we did on Saturday, you know, get in the I formation. You're going to huddle anyway. You've got Peacock who's nailing people when he gets in the game. Like, follow him or give him a handle. You know, give him a carry. If you want to run out of the shotgun, let Ellis go straight. Don't turn him. Don't turn him east west and take away his momentum. If you do want to run the ball east west, you got Atkins. You've already burned his red shirt. Let's see what he can do. Um, do something. I mean, defensively, they they try anything on defense. You got Cross playing defensive back this week, um, but on offense, they're afraid to like do anything. I don't understand it. So show me something. I do expect them to win the game either way. Um, I almost I don't want to say this out loud, but I almost hope Kurt throws an interception. So he it feels like he's trying not to like open open his arm up. You know, be be aggressive. You got a you've got a decent arm when when you're confident. Scare the defense. Take some shots downfield. If you look, if you throw an interception fifty yards down the field, who cares? Just go for it. Um, not expecting it. Hence the score twenty four seventeen. But I'd really like to see it. I think as I look, I, I like. Let me say it like this: Ferber's um, Ferber's uh, ability to be neutral um, and not be. Uh, distracted by smoke and mirrors it's pretty unrivaled i always joke with him that like whatever ferber's gut tells you is a pretty good sign and so for him to pick uva in this game is probably a pretty good sign um but i go back to what he said <laughs> almost not necessarily a, a comment more of an uh he was more <laughs> more imploring than like be better <laughs> like the offense has to be better and and i think that given what they have talent wise like maybe they don't have um as much uh you know as many you know game breakers as they would like to have and certainly they're going to be guys on that roster who develop you know into better players I mean look keep throwing the ball to Jana I, I really like the way that kid runs and I feel like he you know he's got a bright future ahead of him um I'm like you guys I just feel like the the, the constant shifting of wide receivers doesn't make a lot of sense to me put your best guys out there um you know it's funny how they don't you know they have a depth chart but it doesn't seem to matter because they just it's everything is based on like whatever play they're running and it tips everything. Um, and I almost feel like if they would fix that one thing, 
like I almost wonder if like that wouldn't like open up the floodgates at least in terms of opportunities. Maybe it wouldn't open the floodgates in terms of points and yards and first downs, but at least it would open it up in terms of opportunities. Ferber's right. Like none of these runs get outside. Like the only thing to get outside of those flares and 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 whatever that they're throwing out in the, in the flat. But like those things are always numbers, um, and they and they very rarely are ever set up for success. Um, I think they're much better when they, you know, they have a guy in motion, um, especially when Zacchaeus is that guy, if they can move some people around. Um, and I do think that one benefit they will have this weekend is that they will go into this game having played against a, against a faster team in Indiana, and now things are going to slow down a little bit. Um, that typically helps, you know. You, 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 you typically can, can, can see things a little better once you play against a little speed. So maybe that will help them out. But I, I, I'm like Ferber said, like, offense has to be better like there's that's the long and short of it and I think Dave's point about just kind of letting Benkirk sort of be free I, I think one of the problems that he might be having is he's so focused on being efficient like he's so focused on like you you watch those throws and how they're sailing out of bounds it's because he is afraid to throw in the window you know and and I think he's at some level he's just got to go out there and play and if he turns the ball over like hey you don't want to turn the ball over but be, but turn the ball over because you're trying to make a play don't turn the ball over because you made an you know you made a big mistake and to me the the you know the intentional grounding stuff those are mistakes throwing a ball when you have a guy one on one and giving your receiver a chance and having intercepted is not is not a mistake it's a you know it's just an interception um and i think maybe you know some some aggression wouldn't be wouldn't be a bad thing to see. I just don't feel like Virginia has been aggressive offensively, which is so weird because their defense has moments where they're uber aggressive, right? So I kind of feel like in a lot in the long scheme of things, that offense has to start being aggressive. They start they have to start setting the tone. They have to take the game, you know, you know, and do something with it as opposed to kind of letting it happen to them. Um, and lastly, I'll say Dave's thing the other day about you know series of of sentences that aren't a story. That is exactly what I see. Um, and that's got to change if they want to find some success too. But, uh, I think that's a good place to, to put a pen in it for this week. Um, clearly we had plenty to say about last week and, and it'll be interesting to see what we have to say next week talking about the, uh, the Cavaliers and the Huskies. But want to thank, uh, everybody there for continuing to give us a listen. Thank Dave and, uh, and Ferber for being on the show as always very kind to give up their time on a Wednesday night every week during the season to talk about something that clearly frustrates him <laughs> to some extent. Um, but like I said, want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. Uh, for David Spence, for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.